Back in the middle of the 18th century, as missionaries were getting deeper and deeper into the hearts of Africa, they needed to have guides and porters that would actually lead them there. And the missionaries, they were so excited, they were getting to go into new unexplored territories in order to share the love of Jesus with many, 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 many new people. And what they were doing is they were, they were pushing the guides to go faster and faster. Let, let's just keep on going. Let's just keep on going. At first, that's what the guides were doing. But one day, the guides and the porters woke up and refused to move. And the missionaries were like, no, we, we, we've got to keep going. We've got to go faster. We, we've got to get in there. Still, the guides, they would not budge. Finally, through a translator, they were asked, well, why aren't you guys moving? And the guides basically said this, we need to stop here for an entire day to allow our souls to catch up. You know, that's really what we've been talking about over these past five weeks in this Rhythms of Grace series is that we've gotten so busy in our lives, we're in such a hurry and such a rush that not only is it hurting us physically and then relationally, but it's also hurting us spiritually as well. We've got to slow down. We've got to allow our souls to catch up. Dallas Willard, who's a very famous theologian and author, he once said that hurry is the greatest enemy that we have to our spiritual lives. Now, I don't know if I agree with him or not that that's the greatest enemy that we have, but it certainly is right up there, isn't it? Because the more we're in a hurry, the more we get in a rush, the more frantic we are, the less time that means we're actually stopping and slowing down and listening for the voice of God. It means that we're not seeing all the things that God wants us to see because we're just rushing by people all the time. And what that means then is that we're not doing the things that God would have for us to do. I mean, for so many of us, it seems like we're just barely hanging on in life, doesn't it? Kind of like this girl. Take a look at this. I mean, <laughs> doesn't that what life feels like sometimes? The treadmill just keeps going faster and faster and faster, and you're just hanging on. <laughs> But what we've been learning throughout this series is that Jesus gives us a better way. Not only does He model for us a better way, but He teaches us a better way as well. And so today as we wrap up the series, I want to look at one more thing that's going to help us in doing that. One more way that we can keep from just barely hanging on. We're just going so fast. And even when we're not going fast, I've talked about this a lot throughout this series, when we have a little bit of downtime, what do we do? The initial reaction we have is we reach in our pockets, we pull our phones out, and we just spend our time just idly doing nothing on a phone. I saw a study this past week, 77% of millennials say that the very first thing they do anytime they have a little bit of downtime is reach for their phone. 77%. There you're going, those crazy kids these days, I knew it. But listen, aren't we the same way? Think about your life. When you have even just a little second, isn't the natural tendency to reach for your phone? I didn't realize how bad this was for me until a couple weeks ago. It was probably about a month or so ago. 
Lisa and I were like four generations behind in our phone, but our phone like carrier, they made us an offer we couldn't refuse, okay? Basically, they said, look, we will give you the latest and greatest, the newest, absolutely free. Okay, I mean, we're going to do it, right? And so we go into the, the store and, and we do, you know, what we need to do. And of course, what they do is they say, give us your old phone and we'll have the new phone there. And we have this like program and it's going to transfer all your old data off your phone on your new phone. And it's only going to take like 15 to 20 minutes to do. Okay, great. And so we're standing there in the store. And what do you normally do when you're just like standing around? You reach for your phone to like entertain yourself. But now I don't have a phone. It's lying on the counter. It's a, my old phone, my new phone. They're lying right there on the counter. 15 to 20 minutes goes by, and it seemed like I was watching paint dry. <laughs> and we look at the thing. We ask the, the girl, how's it doing with the transfer? She says, oh, it's only like 15% done. She said it normally doesn't take this long, unless you like have a lot of gifts that you use when you do texting. Well, let me just say, Lisa and I speak fluent GIF, all right? <laughs> we, we do a lot of, so she says, well, it's going to be a little bit longer. She says, uh, you know, what, what do you want to do? I was like, well, said, Lisa, let, let's just like walk around. Like we'll be like old people, right? We'll be mall walkers, right? And get our exercise in. So we're like walking through the mall, doing our thing. We come back a half hour later. How's it doing? It's like at 27%. <laughs> So I said to Lisa, I was like, all right, let's like leave them all and go out to eat dinner. I tell you what, it felt like I was naked as I walked out of that mall. I didn't have my phone with me. What am I going to do? What if like we're in an accident? Who am I going to be able to call? What if I somehow, even though I've been on Route 22, somebody said, what if I get lost and I need a GPS or something? And then at dinner, we actually had to talk to each other. <laughs> now, we have a rule that when we're out, we don't uh, look at the phone. But it, it still felt just so weird not having the access. Because a lot of times when Lisa and I are talking, there's something that comes up. And we always, our joke is, if only there was a device in our pocket that we could, like, ask Google. Like, you know. And so we, like, always are asking Google, you know, how to answer different questions, you know, things that fascinate us. And th we couldn't do that. Finally, we get back to the store. It still wasn't done, so they're finally just like, just take it home, bring the phone back tomorrow to us, right? And eventually it got done, but it was just so weird not having that there. And again, so whether it's that we're in a rush, we're always in a hurry, or when we have a little bit of downtime, we get distracted, we're just simply not doing it Jesus' way. And so today what I want to do is I want to give us one more of these rhythms of grace that's going to help us to slow our lives down. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. Again, Mark chapter 1. I do want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us. You'll notice right there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there's a little button there. I think it's right about right there, right? Uh, it's called Talk Notes. And if you push that, that's going to take you to all the scriptures we're going to look at today, as well as the main points I'm going to be making for those of you that are live here in the room. Phones aren't evil. We can use them for good. So pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, and go to our website, exponential.church. You can access all the talk notes there as well. A little bit of context here for Mark chapter 1. This could arguably be considered the busiest day that Jesus had in his three and a half years of public ministry. How many of you ever had a busy day before? You had a busy day? Jesus is about to have a really, really 
busy day. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, we read this. Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to preach. Now, I don't want to overplay this, right, to make, like, make myself look good or something, but until you've been up here and you've spoken and you've preached God's word, you don't realize how exhausting this is. You're like, Gilbert, you just like speak for a half hour. Come on, dude. I mean, you only work one day a week and that's only for an hour. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> but it's this, it's this weight of knowing that you are speaking on God's behalf to God's people, that there's just such a weight that you have on you. And of course, there's the adrenaline rush of being in front of a crowd and online and all that kind of stuff. And so like by Sunday afternoon, I am wore out. I just like crash and I'm done. So there's this tremendous way. Now, you guys are a good audience. You're receptive to what I'm talking about. Jesus here, he's preaching this message in the synagogue to a bunch of skeptics. And I've been in crowds before where I've had to speak to people that were hostile to what it was that I was saying. And that's even more draining because there's this even bigger weight that you have on you. And the adrenaline's pumping even faster in those situations. And so Jesus is speaking to this hostile crowd, so he's already going to be wore out just from preaching. But then to make matters worse, all of a sudden during the middle of his preaching, a man that's demon-possessed pops up, starts going crazy, making a commotion. Now, I've never done an exorcism before, but I imagine that doing an exorcism, that's probably pretty draining as well. So Jesus does that. And then they finally get done. Now, we only, you know, we're an hour, hour five, hour ten minutes at the most. These services that they were doing in the synagogue, they went on and on and on and on and on. And so Jesus, he's got to be wore out. But yet, look at what happens in, in verse 27, what we read. Everyone was completely surprised and kept saying to each other, what is this? It must be some kind of powerful, uh, new kind of powerful teaching. Even the evil spirits obey him. So Jesus must have done a good job. He's wore out, but he's done a good job. And the word quickly starts to spread throughout the local village there and the surrounding towns and villages of this man who has this powerful new teaching. And he's like, he's got this healing power. After that, we read this in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, they went to Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Now, Simon is also known as uh, Peter. So they, they're going to, to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law, she's going to be there. And she's going to have a nice big lunch and stuff. So they get there in the afternoon. But what they discover as soon as they walk through the door is that Peter's mom is sick in bed. She's got a high fever. They don't even know she's going to make it. She's so, so sick. So there is no lunch. So what does Jesus do? He's worn out. He's tired, but he goes right into the bedroom. He lays his hands on her and heals her. And I love it that it says she immediately gets up and begins to prepare the lunch for him. But now lunch is delayed, so Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's wore out. Finally, though, they eat. They maybe get a little bit of a rest. But then look at how the evening transpires. Verses 32 to 33. That evening after sunset, all who were sick or had demons in them were brought to Jesus. 
and the whole town gathered at the door. Jesus had a really busy day. And now all of a sudden, everybody shows up at the house. And Jesus is talking to as many people as he can. He's healing people. He's casting out more demons from people. He's had a really, really full day. Just one thing after another. You ever have a day like that where it was just one thing after another? So what do you do after a day like that? Do you just set the alarm clock and wake up and you do it all over again the next day? Just keep repeating the same day over and over and over again and complain, I am just so busy. I'm just so wore out. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I can't keep up with this pace. But yet you just keep doing it over and over and over again? Is that what you do? Jesus did something a little bit different. We know what Jesus did. Look at verse 35. Very early the next morning before daylight, Jesus got up and he went to a place where he could be what? He could be what? What? He could be alone and pray. In the Gospels, this is Jesus' regular pattern. Every single morning, getting up and being alone so he could spend time with his heavenly Father. Over and over and over again, we read this. I'll give you another example of this. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and the disciples, they've had this, this day that they've been doing a lot of ministry, and they realize that, man, we haven't eaten anything all day long. You ever had one of those days before that you got so busy that you're like, oh, I, I forgot to eat. That, that's the day that they had. And Jesus' disciples are like, Jesus, just send the crowds home. We, we need to get in the town and get something to eat. I don't even know if this is this big of a crowd that everybody's going to be able to find anything. And of course, this is the story then of Jesus feeding the, the 5,000 plus the women and children that are in attendance. But it's interesting, right after Jesus feeds them, he tells his disciples, immediately, get in the boat, go on to the other side, get away from the crowds. And Jesus is about to do the same thing. Look at Mark 6, 46. After telling everybody goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Just in the Gospel of Luke alone, we have nine different times where we read about Jesus going and being alone in order to spend time with his heavenly Father. Nine times. Look at Luke 22, 39. Luke records this. Then as what? Then as, then as usual, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going to this place called the Mount of Olives over and over and over and over again. And why is He going to the Mount of Olives? To be alone with His heavenly Father to get away from the crowds, to get away from the busyness of everything. And we've talked about that throughout this series. Jesus accomplished more in three and a half years than you and I will ever accomplish in our whole lifetimes. But yet Jesus found it very, very important to have this rhythm of grace of getting alone to be with His heavenly Father. And you and I, we've got to do the same thing. Notice that Luke says here that it is what Jesus usually did. 
It was just a part of the normal rhythm of his life. Day after day, time after time, getting alone in the morning every day. And then sometimes even in the evenings, he would get alone to be with his heavenly father. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who has accomplished more than we'll ever accomplish, if he thought it was important for him to have alone time with his heavenly father, what makes you think that you're any different? What makes you think you're different? That you can just keep going and going and going and going. Jesus knew that when I spend time with the Father, that the Spirit is going to empower me to do even more. So Jesus was busy, but yet he knew he needed time with the Father. So here's our big thought for the day. Here's the big takeaway for you. That is simply this. It's on your outline. Every day I must have a quiet time with God. Now, whether you call it a quiet time, some of you may call it a devotional, the biblical word is actually solitude. That you're getting alone in solitude with God. Regardless of what you call it, it needs to happen every single day. Now, I know some of you are going, but Lord, I I actually connect best with God when we're here gathered together as a group. That's when I feel closest to God. And you know what? I'm glad that you experienced that. Or maybe even you're experiencing that online. That is awesome that you're doing that in community, that that, that you feel that way. But that can't be your only connection to God. That's like saying, you know what? I drink water or any liquid one day a week, and then I, I don't know, why am I so thirsty the rest of the week? It's because you were designed to, to drink liquids every single day. And see, you were designed, you were created by God to be in a relationship with Him and to have a relationship with Him every single day, not just once a week. And hey, let's face it, you know, just even 10, 15 years ago, most people, they showed up to church every single week. I mean, the only exception was, you know, I'm on vacation or I'm like extremely sick. But the truth of the matter is, most Americans, including many of you, you're only showing up to Exponential, you're only showing up to watch online every three weeks, every month now. And so if, if that's the only connection to God you're getting is every three to four weeks, no wonder you're spiritually hungry. No wonder you're spiritually thirsty. No wonder you you don't feel like you're ever getting ahead. No wonder you're always wore out and and tired. We're meant to connect with God every single day and with God's people every single week. The author of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. That every single week we are to gather together. Now, I don't care if it's at Exponential. But every single week, even when you're on vacation, find a church to attend. If you can't be here, tune in online every single week. Don't become spiritually malnourished. See, we're not tapping into the the spiritual energy that Jesus offers through the power of the Spirit when we connect to the Father every single day and every single week with one another. And so daily, you need to come apart before you come apart. And I shared this story last week as, as I was sort of announcing today's message, but 
but Dylan, who was uh, singing here in the, in the middle today, his, his grandfather was the guy who discipled me many, many years ago. Actually, I just celebrated my spiritual birthday uh, on July 27th, just a couple days ago. Uh, 29 years now since I became a follower of Jesus. And it was Dylan's grandfather that came alongside of me, and he, he discipled me. And he had this phrase, and that's what I entitled today's message. He would say, Gilbert, you better come apart before you come apart. Come apart. Spend time alone with God, with Jesus, with the Spirit. Spend time alone. Come apart before you physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Come apart. I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. You better come apart before you come apart. Listen, a quiet time with God doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy. You know, you don't have to have your Bible laid out just perfectly. You know, you got your latte there in the perfect spot and the music's playing. It's not what it's about. Don't make it difficult. This is just about spending time with the Heavenly Father. It's actually pretty, pretty simple. It's just a couple minutes where you're going to hear from Him. He's going to hear from you as well. The question is, why is it that most of us aren't doing it? If it's so simple, why aren't we doing it? And the answer to that is because you probably don't have a system for how to do it. You're going, system? That sounds sort of complicated. Systems? I mean, Gord, you just said it was going to be simple. And a system, that sounds like a very formal type of thing. I don't know about all this system talk. I mean, is a system even biblical? Well, yes, systems are biblical. You know how I know systems are biblical? It's because God is the creator of systems. What did God do on the very first day? God created the heavens and the earth. He created a solar system. Eventually, He creates humans, and we have a digestive, a cardiovascular, right? So we're we're full of systems. The whole world is full of systems. God is the creator of systems. And so you need a system for spending time with your heavenly Father. See, it's not enough just to have a goal that I'm going to spend time with God every single day. You better have a system in place of how you're going to spend time with God every day. Now again, you're going, that sounds really, really complicated. It's not. I'll prove it to you. I'm going to give you a system right now. It's on your outline. A daily quiet time with God is as simple as having a time, place, plan, and saying a prayer. Let me read that to you again. A daily quiet time with God is as simple as having a time, place, plan, and saying a prayer. And what I want to do in the remainder of our time is just break each one of those words down for you. So we'll start with time. Having a quiet time with God is something you should do at the same time every single day. And I don't care what that time is, but you should have your quiet time at the exact same time every single day. So for some of you, that may mean 6 a.m. For some of you, it may mean 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. or 10 p.m. Whatever it is, the same time. Now, it doesn't literally have to be a time on the clock. It can be, but for some of you, it could be just the same time as far as a part of the the rhythm of your life. So for example, and we we talked about this, uh, I guess it was about two years ago, we were talking about habit formation, that there's this thing called habit stacking, that what are the habits you already have as a part of a normal routine, and then just add new habits into that routine. So for example, if every morning the alarm goes off, 
you get up, you go to the bathroom, you get a shower, you get dressed, then you have breakfast. And you do that same routine every day. It never, ever changes. You know, the alarm goes off, you get up, you get to uh, go to the bathroom, you get a shower, you get dressed, you have breakfast. That's the routine every single day. All you're going to do here is you're going to add your quiet time with God into that routine. And it could be anywhere in that order. But here, here's maybe what I would suggest to you. Alarm goes off, get up, go to the bathroom, get your shower, get dressed, then spend your time with God. Then have breakfast. And so the rule can be this. No Bible, no breakfast. Till you satisfy your physical hunger, you're first of all going to satisfy the spiritual hunger that you have. No Bible, no breakfast. Now, I, I recommend actually doing your quiet time with God in the morning. There, there's a couple reasons. Number one, it's the example of Jesus. So every morning, Jesus would get up and he would spend quiet time with his heavenly Father. The, the second thing is you're less likely to get distracted. If you wait until the afternoon or the evening, man, things pop up in your life all the time that weren't expected, don't they? So all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, I'm too tired or just like the day just gets away from you and you skipped it. So you're less likely to have any distractions pop up if you do it the very first thing in the morning. The other thing that I like about doing it first thing in the morning is it allows you to have something to sort of reflect on for the entire day. So you've got in God's Word, you've prayed, and the Spirit has spoken to you in some way. And so now you're like, oh, I'm just going to reflect on that as the day goes on. Again, it doesn't have to be the morning, but I would recommend that. If you do it in the evening, be consistent with it. Same time, you know, maybe it's 9 p.m., 10 p.m., whatever, or as a part of your getting ready to, for bed routine. Just have a consistent time now. Part of time, you're going, well, how long is a quiet time? Well, I'd say start with 10 to 15 minutes. So that means you're going to have to get up 10 to 15 minutes earlier. But listen, it's like everything else we've talked about in this series. You know, as, as far as like our, our giving, that when we give the first 10%, God blesses the remaining 90%. When we give the, the first day of our week, the Sabbath, God blesses the other six days. Same way, when you give the first part of your day to God, even though, oh, I had to get up 10 minutes or 15 minutes earlier than normal, God is going to bless the rest of the day in ways that wouldn't if you would have gotten that extra 10 to 15 minutes of sleep. So you have to have a time and be consistent with it. The second thing is a place. You need to have a place. Remember what Luke said that Jesus, as usual, went off to the Mount of Olives. Jesus had his place. Now, Jesus was traveling around, so he had to have multiple places. But anytime he was near the Mount of Olives, he knew that that's the place that I go to connect with the Heavenly Father. You need to have the same type of thing. A place that you go to that is where you know I'm connecting to God. Now, when I say a place, it could be actually in your house. It could be a particular room in your house. Maybe it's a particular uh, piece of furniture in your house. Like right now for, for, uh, for me, in, in our house, in our downstairs living room, we have a sofa that we never ever sit on. 
And there's this one section that when I do sit on that particular sofa, there's one section of it I don't ever sit on that section. Except for every single morning, spending my alone time with God. And so what happens is I'm walking through the house and I see that particular section of the sofa. You know what immediately pops into my mind? That's where I connect with God at. Now listen, we can connect with God anywhere. As you're driving, as you're walking, at your work, I mean, in the shower, it doesn't matter. No matter where you're at, you can connect with God. But for me, there's this visual cue. It's a reminder that that is where I spend time with my Heavenly Father. And this is another thing we learned a couple years ago in the, in the series about you know, creating good habits and breaking bad habits is the power of visual cues. If you remember in that series, I, I shared this with you. Our bodies are made up of 11 million sensory receptors. Sight, sound, taste, touch, uh, whichever here. All, all those things, 11 million. 10 million of those are devoted just to sight. So what we see is so, so important. So again, for me, it's a, a particular section of the one sofa. For Lisa, she has a particular chair in her office that when I'm walking by her office door in the morning to go into my home office, if I see her in that chair, I know don't interrupt her. Why? Because I know she's spending time with God right now. She has her spot. I have my spot. You need to find a spot for yourself. Again, it could be a particular room. It could be a particular piece of furniture. It, maybe for you, it's that you, know, you, you go out and you walk or you do something. Somewhere you need to have your place. Next thing you need is a plan. You need to have a good plan of how am I going to connect with God and His Word? And here's what I want to encourage you not to do. So many Christians do this. They use what's called the dip and skip method, okay? Here's what the dip and skip method is. It's like, oh God, please speak to me today. And Judas went out and hung himself. No, 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 God, uh, speak to me today. Whatever you're about to do, do us quickly, right? I mean, it's like, that's the dip and skip. You're just like hoping and praying that you're going to hit a verse that's going to speak to you. It's not what you want to do. You want to have a plan in place. You want to be systematic in how you're reading through Scripture. What I would recommend is two things. Two possibilities for you here. The first one would be this. Pick a particular book of the Bible. Remember, the Bible is actually not a book. It's a collection of 66 books. Pick a particular book. And if you're just new to the Bible, start in the New Testament. Start with the Gospels. Just pick one particular book. The Gospel of John, let's say. And just say, I'm going to read it all the way through. Now, the pace that you read through, that's up to you. For many people... You know, if you're taking 10, 15 minutes in a day, it's going to be probably a chapter. You just read one chapter every single day. And what you're doing is as you read through that one chapter, you're praying that God speak to me through your word. And like there's going to be like one or two verses or a particular story or something that like really jumps out at you. And then you're just going to reflect on that the rest of the day. How can I apply that to my life? 
And then once you're done that book of the Bible, you pick another book of the Bible and you just read straight through and you just keep doing that over and over and over again as you go through different books of the Bible. Again, for those of you that are newer, start in the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament. That's the stories of Jesus and the story of the church. That's where you're going to want to be. Eventually, once you understand the context of the New Testament, of everything that happened, then it's going to make a lot more sense a lot of the stories and things you're going to read in the Old Testament. Here's the other thing that you can do. Again, phones are not evil. Phones can be great tools. So you go on your phone, go on your tablet, you go on your computer. If you don't have it yet, you download the YouVersion app. YouVersion is also known as the Bible app. It is absolutely free. And what you're going to find there on YouVersion is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of plans of how to systematically read through Scripture. So if you want to read through the Bible, say uh, uh, in a year or three years, in five years, there are plans for that. If you want to read through the New Testament, there's plans for reading through the entire New Testament in a month or reading through the entire New Testament in six months or in a year's time. Or maybe you want to do something more topical. You want to know, what does the Bible have to say about anger? Because I'm dealing with anger. Or what does the Bible have to say about raising my kids or having a better marriage or, or my finances or how to deal with my coworkers that are like mean and nasty? There is literally a plan for every single thing there in the Version app. And again, it's absolutely free. You just got to download it. Find the plan that you like. Now, a couple things about that. The first thing I would say is this. The default Bible in version is going to be the King James Version. Do not read the King James Version. You're going, oh, Gilbert, but I've heard like the King James is the only proper translation. Come on, man. Are you a heretic or what? No. Do you know why King James authorized the King James Version to be translated? It's because he didn't understand the English translations in his day and time, in the 1600s. And so he said, gross. <laughs> He's like, I need something in my language with a lot of these and thous and those and all that. We don't speak that way anymore. That's the old king's English. You're not British. <laughs> you don't speak that way. The King James was the it was either the eighth or the ninth English translation. So it is not the original English translation. Some people want you to believe that. That it's got to be the King James because that's the original one. In it. No, it's not. King James authorized it because he wanted something that could speak to him. Again, you don't speak the old King's English. So you want something that's more modern. You're like, but then go where it's like the telephone game because it's just like, one English translation, then somebody translated that English translation, somebody translated that. Nope, that's not how translations work. Translations work this way. They take the original Greek, they take the original Hebrew, the original Aramaic, and the translators then translate it from that into English or Spanish or Russian or Portuguese or whatever, English, or, uh, whatever language they're translating it into. Translations are always from the original documents. But you just want to say it in a way that makes sense to us. So here's what I'd recommend for you. A couple translations. One would be the NIV, New International Version. 
One would be the New Living Translation, the NLT. The other would be the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. Those are three good ones. And those three are going to be almost as close as possible word-for-word translations from the Greek and the Hebrew into English. If you say, all right, I want something even easier, because those are written like on a 10th to to 12th grade reading level, those three that I just said. If you go, dude, where's the like 6th grade reading level? I mean, that's what I want. The CEV, the Contemporary English Version, would be a good one for you. The GWT, God's Words uh, Translation, that would be a good one. And then the one I'm actually going through this year personally, because every year I go through a different uh, translation in my own personal time, I'm going through the Passion Translation right now. Now, as they get a little bit simpler, they become a little bit more paraphrases. How many of you ever heard the message before? You heard that one before? That is not a translation of Scripture. That's actually a paraphrase of Scripture, but it's easy to read. And so the easier it is to read, they're they're keeping the thought of the Scripture there, but it becomes a little bit more of like a commentary instead of like a word-for-word translation. But just whatever it takes to get you in, to to get you started, to get a hunger for God's Word, that's where you want to start. Do those things. The other thing I like about the YouVersion app then is this. You can friend other people. So your family members, your life group, the campus that you attend, you can friend the people on there. And you can connect your accounts so that, and it's an option, you don't have to do this, but you can connect with them to say, you know, it shows that you've done your devotional for the day. And that way if they see, you know, or, oh, they haven't read for like four days, they can call you, hey, is everything okay? I see you haven't, haven't read in a couple days. And that's a chance for you to be held accountable and for you to hold other people accountable because we're in this together. Christianity is not an independent thing that we do. We are to be interdependent on one another. We need each other. When it comes to God's Word, we need each other because you're going to read some things and you're going to go, I don't understand that. Well, when you have some other people that you're close to spiritually, you can go to them and say, I read this, what's this mean? And they can help you or show you where to, to find. And so you, you're going to want to have a, a plan of some sort. The last thing then is you need a prayer. You need a prayer. Say a prayer. You're not just going to read God's Word. You're going to take some time to, to talk to God. And even more importantly than talking to God, you're also going to take some time to stop and listen for the voice of God. Remember, this is a relationship that you have. And it, like any relationship, it has to be a two-way street. I mean, for those of you that are married, what if, what if, your spouse only talked to you, but never listened to you. And it was just, they're always talking, they're always asking you for things. Eventually you go, all right, is this a relationship or am I just a vending machine here? It's the same way with, with God. Yes, you want to talk to Him, share what's on your heart, but you need to have those times where you're silent and you're listening for His voice as well. And when you do talk, remember, you don't have to have fancy words. You don't have to be on your knees, head bowed, eyes closed, you know, hands full. You can do those things, but you don't have to do those things. What he's more interested in is just this relationship where you're just talking to him like you would talk to anybody else. And please don't underestimate the power of prayer. Because this whole series has been about you know, being busy and being rushed. 
And when you're praying, what that's doing is you are intentionally taking some time to slow down and listen for the voice of God to help you and to get the wisdom in the situations that you're facing. And how do I get out of the bad situations that I'm in? How do I have the, the strength and the power to go forward? I, I love the story of John Knox, who was a, a famous Scottish theologian. He was ordered to appear before Mary, the Queen of the Scots, for a 10-minute like consultation of some sort. Now, if you know your history, Mary, Queen of the Scots, she was notorious for having a bad temper, uh, just flying off the handle of having her soldiers just execute people on the spot if they didn't say something the right way or give her the answer that she was looking for, or maybe they didn't even use the right tone. I mean, they may have even been saying the right thing, but they just used the wrong tone and she'd have them executed. So, I mean, just a wicked, wicked lady. And so John Knox is called to appear before her for this 10-minute consultation. And, and all the, the, the Christian friends of John Knox are like, dude, be so careful. Be careful of what you do, of what you say. And John Knox said this. I love it. He said, why would I be concerned about 10 minutes with the queen when this morning I spent an entire hour with the king? We have got to get to the same way that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what we're going through, no matter how hurried and frantic life may seem, that we're intentionally slowing down, spending time with the King. Because He is the only one that has the answers that we need. He's the one that gives us these rhythms of grace. These rhythms of grace. And if you've missed any of this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen all these things that we've talked about. How do you slow your life down and learn to walk at the speed of Jesus? I'll wrap up with our theme verse for this entire series. Matthew 11, 28-30. Go and close your eyes and reflect on this one more time. Here's the Word of God to you. Jesus' words. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live life freely and lightly. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day and we thank You for this past five weeks as we've learned from the example of Jesus who never once ran, who never once was in a hurry, even though He had so much to do and so much to accomplish. He just went at the speed that You would have Him to go. Slow and steady. And in many ways, it looked like He was being foolish because He was taking an entire day and resting. He was giving His mornings and sometimes even His evenings to You. But yet, we know that when we give things to You, You multiply those things. So Lord, help us to learn from this final rhythm of grace here today that each and every one of us needs to have a quiet time. We need to have that time with You where we slow down and we 
listen to you from your word. We listen to you as, as your spirit speaks to our hearts and our minds. And we talk back to you in prayer. Lord, I pray that every single person, even if it's just this week, they would just give it a try. 10 to 15 minutes every day just with you. And Lord, I know that they're going to experience the same thing that so many of us have experienced. And that is that there's now a hunger for more. That it's, oh wow, I'm getting time with the King of the universe. And 10 or 15 minutes leads to, to more time and more time and more time. We just enjoy being with You and experiencing You for all that You're worth. So Lord, I, again, I pray that everybody would, would just try this over this next week. I, I pray that everybody would continue to assemble together each week because there is a, a, a strength when we're together, that we are better together, that two are better than one because we have a good return for our work. If one of us should fall down, our friends are there to help pick us back up. So Lord, help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Jesus, thank You for 29 years now since You saved me, changed me and transformed me. And I realize I am nothing. I am just Your humble servant trying to become more and more like You. Lord, my hope and prayer is that my words as I speak them each and every week would encourage other people to do the same thing to just follow Your example. Life will be so much better as we walk in these unforced rhythms of grace. Because Your yoke is easy and Your burden is light. Thank You for that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.